It is probably hour according to my clock. So we're going to get started. Uh, first of all, I would like to welcome everyone on the line to the Community Matters Conference call. These are part of a series that we've been running for a couple of years now, brought to us with huge thanks to the good folks at the Orton Family Foundation. Um, and they're designed as a way to connect great people and great ideas across the country. And we, we've been running them for a couple of years. We've had hundreds of people on the, on the line to listen to great speakers and join in the conversation. So we're hoping that today will be no different. Today we're talking about participatory budgeting. And uh, I'll just give you a quick overview that, that we've taken from the Community Matters blog post that we wrote about this. Uh, originally, community, uh, participatory budgeting was an experiment that started in Porto Alegre in Brazil in 1989. Since then, it's grown in popularity and is now part of public practices in more than a thousand cities and institutions across Europe, Latin America, the United States, and Canada. And it's really focused on empowering people to provide input in the, in the public budgeting process um, and has numerous benefits. It builds community, demonstrates government transparency in decision-making, and helps ensure equitable distribution of public funds. So today we're joined by the fabulous Josh Lerner, who's the Executive Director of the Participatory Budgeting Project, and Marty Brown, who's a council member in Vallejo in California. So we're really looking forward to a highly engaging and energizing conversation today with everyone on the line. But before we get started, I just wanted to go over a few of the ground rules for the call. So to start with, we ask that everyone on the line put themselves on mute so that we can all hear each other and, and give everyone a, a good and, and uh, safe platform to speak from. Uh, we also have a Google Doc available that you can use to take notes and also add case studies and ask questions. Uh, what I do ask is that if you have a question to ask, that you add your name to the end of the question so that I can then use that to call on you, ask the question, and uh, join the conversation. So, uh, some pretty simple ground rules there. Uh, obviously, please don't hesitate to speak up and often. Uh, this is a really great chance to get a, a good one-on-one -on -one conversation with these fantastic people that are doing terrific work across the country. So, we'll get started with some short introductions from our speakers today and then open it up for questions. And then we usually finish with a couple of ways to take immediate action. So, we've got an hour. We'll, uh, we'll make it exciting, cover a lot of ground here. And without further ado, I'd like to hand this over to Josh to get us started with an intro. Take it away, Josh. Hey, thanks so much. So, I'm excited to be on the call. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. I'm calling in from Brooklyn, New York. And I'll just give a brief intro on, on how I got involved in participatory budgeting and, and then talk a bit about what it is and how it's worked uh, before getting into the questions and the Marty experience. So I've been working on participatory budgeting for the past 10 years or so, and uh, you'll probably hear very soon that Marty and I will we'll call it TB. So usually it's called TB, so we're not talking about peanut butter, but we're talking about participatory budgeting, so it's a lot quicker to say. So I first learned about TB and, uh, 10 years ago when I was living in, in Toronto, in Canada, and um, doing a master's degree in planning and looking for examples of of good participatory processes that manage to engage the folks who normally don't show up, uh, besides the usual folks. And people kept suggesting that I look at, at participatory budgeting, and I thought it kind of boring uh, for a while. 
So eventually I, I, I clued in and, and learned more about it. And the more I learned, the more excited I got. And ended up doing some work with a couple of the experiences in Ontario at Toronto Community Housing and in the City of Guelph. And then after that, spent a year in Latin America, um, observing and working with TV processes on the ground in, in Guatemala and Brazil and, and especially Argentina. And for the past eight years or so, I've been in the U.S. and Canada working to put this on the radar here and to support folks who are doing participatory budgeting in North America. And the, the two things that really excited me about it and kept me going over this time is, one, that, that it's very transformed what governance is and can be, and people get really excited about that, about changing what democracy can mean to them and how they can participate. And then at the same time, it results in direct positive impact in people's lives. It's, it's rare to find that combination of transforming a big system and making an improvement on someone's street or a park or school. So uh, what is TV? So the general definition used internationally is that it's a, uh, a process in which ordinary community members directly decide to spend part of public budget. So I find this to sound straightforward at first, but take some time to sink in. So I'll clarify what it is and what it's not. So it's not a complication process. It's not about asking people what they think and then and going off and doing what you think. It's actually giving people real power to make real decisions about a real pot of money. It's also not just a one-off or one-day process, like a town meeting or a referenda, but it usually lasts several months. Because here being we want so conscious to decide not spend money, but to make good decisions. And that just takes time. And it's not usually for an entire budget, but for part of the budget that's actually in play in a given year. So discretionary funds or money that hasn't been committed for uh, fixed costs or contracts. So this is happening all over the world. Um, and actually over 1,500 cities around the world now. Uh, starting in Brazil, spreading all over to pretty much every continent, except I think Antarctica, unless anyone can prove me wrong. <laughs> and it's been used in, usually at the city level, for city budgets, but also for counties, for states, uh, for housing authorities, schools, universities, school systems, uh, coalitions of community groups, any kind of entity that has some kind of budget that's, that's publicly oriented that tries this somewhere in the world. And briefly, the way the process works, uh, starts out by bringing folks together to learn about the budget and brainstorm ideas for how they make to spend the money. Then usually they uh, select or volunteer to serve as, as delegates who are responsible for taking those initial ideas and turning them into real projects that are feasible, that have price tags, that have locations, and then bringing that back to, to the community for a vote. And the projects that get the most votes are then implemented by the city or agency. So there's lots of variations to that, but that's the basic model. Uh, We've seen that this has really been, been getting more attention in the U.S. in the past few years and Canada as well, especially since the economic crisis. It used to be around five years, years ago when I talked about CB, you know, people would say that's not interesting, that I would work in Brazil, but, but not here. You know, people don't know enough here, or they're not capable of making those decisions. And what we've seen over the past few years, first in Chicago in 2009, then starting in New York a couple of years ago, and now in Vallejo this past year, is that the process does work in the U.S. It, it, it works very well. Uh, people have great ideas. It's not perfect by any means, but it really gives people a new way of connecting with government and 
of engaging productively in their communities. So uh, I'll just close by mentioning my organization and the work we do. So we're a nonprofit organization based in New York called the British Detroit Budgeting Project. Uh, started out just over a year ago, actually, and we've grown pretty quickly. So we now have six staff, including field staff in California and in Chicago. And we do public education work, like the call. We have a conference coming up in Chicago in the beginning of May. We project more systems for cities and organizations and institutions that want to do PD. And we also do research and evaluation of processes. So that's us in a nutshell. And I look forward to the session. Great. Thanks, Josh. Great intro. Uh, Madi, do you want to take us away and, and give us a little background on where, you, where you're coming from and the work that you've been up to? Yes, that'd be great. Um, first of all, um, welcome, everyone. Good afternoon. And I just want to thank Community Matters for inviting me to be part of this engaging uh, conference call today. Um, my name is Marty Brown, and I'm on the Vallejo City Council. And I, um, I think I'll follow sort of a similar format to Josh, which is how I got interested and involved, and then maybe talk a little bit in broad strokes what Vallejo's doing. Um, I, when um, the city of Vallejo started looking at the possibility of municipal bankruptcy, um, and back in 2008, I um, was not on the Vallejo City Council at that time. I was an engaged member of the public, um, a council member at Council Chamber Gadfly, and I started thinking there's really got to be a better way to engage the public in the budgeting process, especially since we were facing a real serious crisis in the city of Vallejo, and really increasing transparency around budgeting. And so I started to do uh, some research around that, on mostly online, and I stumbled across participatory budgeting. And I got really excited and interested in it, and then um, quickly found Josh Lerner, and started emailing and badgering Josh um, about, well, how can I learn how to do this? How, how do you... Yeah, I kept thinking there's got to be some training program so that I could, you know, try to bring this to the city of Vallejo. And there really wasn't anything at that point. And so um, I continued to be part of a sort of a Yahoo Google group that Josh had started back then in 08, 09, um, about that time frame. And then in the summer of 2009, Josh announced that TV was going to be coming to Chicago. And I, um, at that time in 2009, I was running for the Vallejo City Council got really excited and decided that I was going to fly to Chicago and check it out for myself. So shortly after being elected in November of 2009, I went for 48 hours to Chicago, and I got to uh, attend one of the first neighborhood assemblies um, that you'll be hearing about, I'm sure, more later uh, this afternoon, and seeing how the public in Chicago and the 49th Ward was participating and getting involved in PD and getting to learn more about it directly from Josh and also from uh, Council Member, well, Alderman Joe Moore, um, which is what they are called in Chicago as council members. And so it was a really exciting opportunity. And then as we continued to move forward, I had the opportunity to, um, to participate in bringing both Josh and um, Joe out for a thinking engagement. They, they went around the Bay Area and they also came to Vallejo and had um, a, did a public presentation on TV in Vallejo, and uh, that was fairly well received, about 40 or 50 members of the public, but also the mayor came to that um, event. And then finally, in, in, I went from being in the minority on the council in uh, three to four to being in the majority in the fall of 2011, and I had a group of council members that were um, my uh, political allies and colleagues that were very interested in participatory budgeting, especially since we had just uh, passed narrowly passed a 1% sales tax, and so there was a real interest in 
trying to ensure that those monies were spent well and that there was transparency around that and real public involvement. And so finally, in April of 2012, we were able to bring that to the council, and it, it was narrowly approved by a 4-3 to three vote um, to try the first citywide participatory budgeting process in the United States. Um, and so we launched that in the, in the late spring, early summer of 2012. And now we're, you know, fairly well on our way here. We've passed, we've finished all the general public assemblies and we're doing work now with vetting the projects, designing them, developing projects. And, and I'm sure we can get into more detail about that. But I, I would just say we're, we'll be moving forward in the process and doing sort of a science, science, uh, expo, I, is kind of how I think of it, where we'll really have a chance to unveil the projects that make the ballot in April and share them with the public in a number of venues, and then the public in the city of Vallejo will have the opportunity to vote on those projects in May, and they will be able to, anyone as young as 16 um, will be able to vote who is a resident of Vallejo, and you don't necessarily have to be a citizen either. And then, you know, we look forward to implementing whatever the public ends up deciding so um, we're fully engaged at this point in the TV process, and I'm really excited to see what comes out of it in uh, May and June of this year. And I look forward to answering more of your questions. Great. Thank you, Marty. So uh, that should give you all a pretty good uh, baseline for where we're getting started today. Um, what I'm going to do now is, is throw it open for questions. Uh, and the first one that I'd like to, to take, I want to focus just on a little background on how this how this system works. And there's a great question in the Google Doc here from Cynthia B. Cynthia, are you on the line? It's about start to finish instructions. <laughs> if we've got you, please do take yourself off mute and uh, and jump in here. While we're waiting, um, Josh, I might throw this to you straight away. Uh, Cynthia's asking, I would like start to finish instructions to take budgeting ideas from intention to the highest possibility of fruition, benefit, and outcome. And I think that what, what might be really useful for people on the line is just a kind of step-by-step -step of how you go from the very first idea of, of introducing participatory budgeting into a system to kind of working through the process through the outcome. Can you give us an overview of that? Sure. How many hours do we have again? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll, I'll do the summary, so the bullet point version. Uh, I'll, I'll do the, the full every step of the way. But uh, the thing to note is, is just about how we work. We actually don't come in with um, a set plan. We prefer to build the process from the bottom up with the community. So the first step for us is actually setting up the community uh, steering committee that is composed of representatives from the from the community. So that could be civic organizations, nonprofits, policy groups, community organizing groups. And with that steering committee, we then work with them to write the rules for the process. So in Vallejo, that was like we had a few workshops with the steering committee uh, where we basically lay out different questions for what this could look like, options if we use elsewhere, pros and cons, to really leave it up to local people to decide what this process will look like. The main reasons for doing that are that we don't know everything, and local people have a lot of knowledge that's what the whole process is based on, and so we firmly believe that a process design that's from the community is going to work better for the community. And also just that that builds more buy-in in local groups, so they see it as their process, and then and will it forward to succeed. 
So that's the first step where people in the community actually break the rules for the process. Um, from there, there are, are four main steps of decision making. So the first is at what Marty mentioned, these neighborhood assemblies. And that's really where you're, you're brainstorming. You're getting ideas out on the table and deciding what are the options that, that we could use to spend this money on. And everyone's welcome at that. And we also have online platforms, open to ideas. We're just trying to find as many ideas as possible that are feasible. The, the second phase is these uh, delegate meetings. And this is where the delegates take ideas and decide which of them best meet the community needs are are most feasible and will offer the most benefit to the community. So they'll meet with experts from different city agencies um, to find out what's already being planned, what are future projects are in the works, what's feasible and not feasible, what costs too much, too little, uh, and take the expert knowledge and use that to um, vet the project and filter them down to a more reasonable list. We'll then bring that back to the community, and the public will vote to decide which project to move forward. And a uh, key thing to emphasize there, which Marty already mentioned, is that one of the things about PD is it really opens up the question of who can participate. And the work we've done in the U.S., the voter eligibility, eligibility has been broader than its football elections, and this is something, again, decided by the steering committee. So the steering committee has decided to open up voting to uh, people who are 16 years and older, so lower in the voting age, and also uh, to anyone who resides in the city or the district, regardless of whether you're a registered voter, regardless of whether you're a citizen. Uh, all you have to do is show that you live in that jurisdiction. The idea being that people who live in that area should have a say over their community. So uh, it's been exciting for bringing new people into the social process. And then the fourth step is, is generally the, the, the vote then goes back to the uh, legal body, this is throughout the world, whether that's city council or the mayor, for final legal approval. So a couple of important things for, for that. And in those case, for example, city council has to vote um, to approve the final decision. So one thing to note with that is that PD usually works by a political commitment rather than a, a legal change. So the political body will commit at the beginning of the process to honor the results of the process. And that's what makes it work, because the elected officials have said that, you know, we will enact what the public decides. It doesn't require a legal change. Uh, sometimes these do change their charters after they've been doing TV for several years, and they've ironed out some of the kinks. But you don't need that to get started. And what we found is that by the time it gets to the vote, um, it's very hard and very rare for elected officials to vote against the community because you have thousands of people turning out to vote on great projects that they all support, and it becomes political suicide to, to vote against the houses. Okay, excellent. Thank you. Marty, in your experience, uh, is there anything that's, that you guys have done that's different or... Um, that's similar that you've seen work really well? Um, you know, I, I can't, I mean, I, I think a lot of the model that, that Vallejo followed is, is kind of based more on what Chicago and New York City did at the district, city council district levels. I think we, we followed, you know, having the steering committee be appointed organizations and then we allowed those civic organizations 
to um, delegate and decide who the individual, actual individuals from the organizations would represent. Um, on the steering committee, we started out with a 20-person, you know, 20 organizations, which means 20 people from different civic groups throughout the city on the steering committee who helped develop the actual rule book that Josh talked about. Um, so that was a very similar model, I think, to what was done in Chicago, New York. And the only thing I, I would say, just like anecdotally, I think is a little bit um, interesting, and I think the, um, the, those of you that are on the conference calls might find interesting, and just to get into a little bit more of how kind of organic the process is, I, the steering committee, when they brought the rule book forward, our steering committee in the city of Vallejo brought the rule book forward to the city council for final approval because that's how we had written the resolution originally last spring that authorizing PD was that the rule book would come back to the council. And I, I know my colleagues were more comfortable with having a chance to see sort of what are the rules of engagement for PD before launching, you know, fully launching it. And the, the steering committee um, came back with a recommendation to lower the voting age to 14 years of age. And they wanted to allow anybody who did business, who owned a business, who went to school in Vallejo, even if they didn't live in Vallejo, to be able to vote. Um, it was very, very broad. And so, um, and the steering committee members were from everything from the chamber, um, NAAC, to neighborhood associations, um, to, you know, other, um, other nonprofit organizations in the city. It was, a, you know, it's a pretty diverse group of organizations that we had on the steering committee, and it was nearly unanimous vote. Um, I, I think it was a unanimous vote on the, the rule book that was finally presented to the council um, that came forward from um, all 20 steering committee members. And, you know, what to me was remarkable as a council member is that we're a seven-person council member, and on something that is this potentially this controversial, we wouldn't get a 7-0 to zero vote on the council. So the fact that the steering committee was able to get the unanimous support for things that are, you know, kind of radical, like, you know, lowering the voting age to 14 years of age, and you didn't necessarily have to be a resident, which I thought, to me, was really fairly remarkable. In the end, um, the majority council that voted for the rule book um, were not comfortable with having the age as low as 14 and compromised with what was done in Chicago, which was a 16 years of age, and, and then also were really not comfortable with people if they didn't actually live in the city, and so that was also changed as well. But I think that's just like an interesting, to me, little taste of kind of, um, you know, how things can go and, and kind of what you learn along the way and how uh, amazing it is when a diverse group of people work together and able to work things out and come up with a unanimous vote on something when there's $3.2 million on the table, which is what we're looking at in Vallejo. That's really inspiring. I think um, in in your answer there, you also touched on a, a great question from Kate G. Uh, Kate, are you on the line? Um, I'd love to, to kind of move into this next area around routes and processes that could be used to persuade elected officials to get involved in this process and how you can engage other members of the community. Kate, if you're there, please jump in. If not, we'll carry on. Um, Feel free to speak up if you're having a little trouble getting off mute. But, uh, Marty, I'd, I'd love to, to get your take on, on some of the ways that you were able to bring this into the, the local government and actually uh, encourage people to take this process on. Well, I, you know, I think for me uh, it, was, it was 
um, a little different probably than it was, in, in, and Josh could certainly answer this for sure, but I think it's a little different than in the other two cities that, have, that were uh, in the United States where PD has already occurred, Chicago and New York, because I think all the people that are, um, that all the elected officials and the council members in those two cities that have participated in TV so far were actually already in office and actually already, I don't know if they discovered it themselves or whether or not um, it was um, something that they were approached on from the public. But for me, I discovered TV and got really enthusiastic about it before I got elected to office. And so I was a member of the public, you know, being a champion for it, um, you know, back in, in 08, 09, um, and I was elected in November of 2009. And so it, I think that... That is a little bit of a different flavor, maybe, than what's kind of happened in other cities, um, is to start championing something before you even get elected. But um, my experience is one thing I would say that is, I think, really important in trying to get elected officials to uh, be advocates and champions for PD is it takes time. And I, I don't think I can emphasize that enough because digesting what PD is and how it's going to work and get everybody's questions answered to their satisfaction um, without having gone through the process itself and making a commitment to taking a bit of a leap of faith and going through the process, that really takes time to get people comfortable with it and to get a certain comfort level. And remember, I started in 08 working on this, and it passed at the council in 2012 um, and, you know, had a couple different public, two different public events um, with presentations by um, Josh and Joe Moore. So I think I can't really emphasize enough the, the importance of, of really kind of timing and constant, I guess, exposure by both the public and the elected officials to get comfortable with it. Um, you know, originally, for example, um, I, you know, I was pretty confident that I had four votes on the council. I was ready to jump in in January 2012. But the truth was we had already had a little bit of a bump in the road with our new majority that um, created quite a ruckus publicly. And we agreed, myself and the now vice mayor talked about it, and, and agreed that, you know, we should slow down because there's a, there's a way in which both the public and the rest of our colleagues aren't comfortable yet, and we should do a study session and just you know, take a little bit more time to bring the public especially along in this process. And I, and I, I think it was a really... Well, it, it has compressed the amount of time that we have to do it now within a fiscal year this year, and that's been um, a little bit challenging for us because it meant we didn't bring it for a vote to council until April of 2012. I, I do think it was the right decision to sort of slow things down and get the media talking about it and have a study session with the council and all those kinds of things. So to me, that's, that's one of the most important aspects of finding an elected who's going to be a champion for PB is giving them the time to, to get comfortable and to digest what this really means. I guess that would be my biggest thing I would say. And then the other thing I, I would just mention is that um, I think, um, you know, there are groups in the Bay Area that I, I can speak for that are, um, or speak about, I guess, that have tried to do it without having an elected official on board and sort of uh, running down the road with this idea of thinking that they will get the electeds on board. And, you know, so far what I've seen is that hasn't worked as well, what I've tried to do is reach out to other colleagues that I know in the Bay Area to try to get them interested and say, look, I'm, I'm doing it over here. I'm in office. You should really consider doing this too. Um, and I think 
you know, bringing the elected officials along in the process, you know, from my perspective, is a little bit more, I think, successful than just saying, we're going to go do this and we'll catch up later, I hope. Because <laughs> without their support and, and, you know, them voting for it, it's really, it's not really possible to implement it at the municipal and county level. So that's the yeah, other, that you know, sense. extension. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Josh, do you, do you have any other tactics that you can recommend or, or opportunities that you've seen people take advantage of to bring uh, elected officials on board? Or uh, And then uh, I'd also want to hear from you about how you bring in a diverse sector of the community to participate in these programs. Sure. Yeah, as far as the elected officials, maybe outside that back, I'll take a question from before about what are the preconditions for success. And the, the two basic preconditions that we've seen are, are elected official or political support from above and community support from below. So I want to emphasize you need both of those uh, to make it work. And you can start with one or the other, but you can't get it done with just one because uh, it's other requires support from government and also people in the community getting engaged in it. So what we usually do when we found the work test is setting up uh, events in cities where there is interest both on the political side and the community side. So usually we'll do a, a briefing for city council or for whoever the decision makers are, and also a community event, a public event where community groups can learn about the process. And what we try and do is bring in peers about those events. So for a council briefing, we'll bring in a council member or an elected official who's on TV elsewhere. We find that it speaks much more directly to elected officials than, than anything I could say in a sense. And for community groups, we also like to bring in community organizations or grassroots organizers who've done TV talk about why they got interested and how it worked for them. So I'd really encourage that kind of peer-to-peer learning and just having that discussion. And it does take a market. It does take time for folks to get their heads around this, and you really just need to talk it through. And um, then from there, you can find out who's supportive and how you can move forward. Um, and then... Oh, the other thing just to mention is on our website, we also have a whole page to answer these questions. You can look at the page on organizing for TV, which talks about how to have some of these initial events. And then the question is part of how do you get diverse people engaged? Also really critical for us. And we also have an article on that, which is the bottom of this document in the, um, in the how to, how to resources, lessons learned. The, the fourth link there, uh, by the people for the people. To be from the bottom up in North America. That's uh, how we manage to get people engaged from the bottom up who don't normally participate. To briefly summarize it, we, we find that you need uh, four things which we kind of layer on top of each other. The first is uh, a pot of money that's interesting for people who don't normally participate. So, for example, trying to community housing, uh, the funding there is often public housing, which inherently is not interesting to Latin people. Uh, the second thing is that you need um, to take grassroots leaders who, who represent and have relationships with communities that don't normally participate. And that's really critical for us. Wherever we work, we, we try to bring on board local grassroots organizing groups who, who have experience working in risk marginalized communities to help lead the process so that when people look at it, they see uh, other folks look like them and that they have relationships with. And that helps bring in other people of color, uh, youth, and other historically underrepresented communities. The third uh, technique is once you have an interest in 
public money and some perhaps computers are supportive is designing the process to make it most accessible to the public and to make it most accessible to those who not only could the least. So having interpretation, translation, uh, food, childcare, locations that are most accessible for uh, marginalized populations, uh, good facilitation, and all these techniques which can make it easier for people to participate when they're faced with obstacles. And then the fourth technique is using targeted outreach and recognizing that participation isn't neutral, that uh, it tends to attract people who have higher education and incomes. And so the, you need to focus outreach on, on people who are least likely to participate. So doing targeted outreach in public housing buildings, in low-income communities, in schools, in senior centers, and making sure those folks uh, have extra opportunities to learn about the process and participate. Great. Thank you. That's an excellent summary. And you mentioned that there's a, a link to an article that has the full overview of that at the bottom of the document, correct? Yep. By the people, for the people. And that helps you resources less than time. All right. Excellent. Now, I want to move on to another question. From This is from Betty K. Betty, if you're on the line, please don't be shy. Take yourself off mute and, uh, and get ready. Um, do we have you on the line? Yes, I am on the line. Thank you. Excellent. So uh, I'm referring right now to the uh, question that you asked about the level of funding. Do you want to paraphrase that and, and ask Josh and Marty? Yes, it actually kind of goes hand in hand with, uh, with another question that was submitted by one of my colleagues here in West Virginia. Um, we are working with a, a county commission in a county where the entire population is about 90,000. Um, the, the largest town in that in that population is a town of 30,000. And so the, the county commission is really interested in, in doing a collaborative uh, project, and they are very interested in participatory, participatory I see why you call it TV. But they have a very, you know, a small pot of money, and we're dealing with a small population. So I just wonder what lessons you've learned or what applications you've seen where the pot of money is quite small and the population isn't as large as compact as some of the national experiments that we've heard about. How big is the pot of money we're talking about? Well, I, I think it's still to be determined, but I think they're talking about 50 or six, maybe around fifty thousand dollars, sixty thousand dollars possibly. Okay. Would you wait? Josh, want to pick us them? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, a, a few things to note. Uh, first of all, money can go farther depending on what it's used for. So, um, it can go farther if it's for activities or services or programs, and if, if it's for capital infrastructure projects. So if you wanted to actually build things, then that's really not much money. If you wanted to have it go towards community programs, your classes, summer camps, things like that, then you can do more with that part of the money. So uh, a lot depends on what is eligible for funding. And if, if services or programs are eligible for funding, then, then that money can be more meaningful. The more money you have, the more attention this is likely to get. And we really you know, recommend having as big a pot as you can. Of course, it's not always possible for for capital projects and capital cost of money, we usually recommend at least a million dollars uh, because otherwise it's, just, it's really hard to get a meaningful amount of projects done. For programs and services, you know, if you have 100000 or, or even less than that, you, you can do things with it. Uh, although, again, the more you can have, the better. Some cities have used the initial part of money to leverage additional funds. So you might consider approaching foundations or other political jurisdictions, and using that initial pot as kind of seed money 
And if you can say that, hey, we'll build up this great community process for deciding how it'll be spent, why don't you have that same process to use to decide what your money is spent? Um, that can be effective. So in Guelph, for example, in Canada, the pot of money there comes partly from the city, partly from the county, partly from the United Way, uh, partly from other foundation agencies. And they've kind of leveraged small pots of money into something that's, that's more meaningful. And then as, as far as the, the scale or what size community you'd have to have to do this, it's been used all over the world in, in very different environments. So in terms of people out there in rural Guatemala and tiny little villages up in the mountains where you know, it takes you several hours to climb up this hill to get to the village. And then in huge cities like New York. Um, and you have to adapt into different contexts of that, of course. At the very local level of a small town, and this is Basically, you can think of the town meetings of New England, which are, are very similar to this. You don't necessarily need a more complicated process than that if you can actually bring everyone together in the same room. What PB is really for is, is a scale where that's not possible, and you need a more sophisticated approach for decision-making. So if you're just talking about the village or a small town, then I'd say have a meeting and bring everyone together, and you can probably decide there. If that's not possible, then PB can be useful, and so you could have... Um, you know, several small towns in a county, you know, each developing proposals and then delegates from those different towns, uh, could put that together into a budget, um, or a ballot to bring back to the community. So you can, you can use it to enable people in different towns who normally wouldn't work together to develop a budget collaboratively. Um, but yeah, the other thing to flag there is that this does cost money to implement. And so if you have a very small pot of money, you may be spending as much time on the process as we're allocating. Um, are there descriptions on your website or other sites you know of, of some of those smaller scale, more rural or low budget projects? Like case studies? Yeah, the, the smallest scale one that we have on our website is, is in Guelph, which is around 100,000 people. The pot of money is smaller, it's around $250,000, and it's mostly for programs and services. So you can look at that, and there's an article that I've authored on that process. The experience is elsewhere. There's a lot written in Spanish, uh, not as much in English, but we'll try and have some more, some more information on that as well. Thank you. Josh, is the San Francisco one at all worth looking at with their relatively small budget they're doing with this with? Uh, yeah, sure. I'll mention that briefly, too. We're, we're providing some guidance for a new free process in, in one district in San Francisco that is starting out very small, and smaller than, than, than it's... Uh, than the ideal, so it's $100,000. The money there can be used for programs and services, so it can go a bit further. The idea there was to use it as a pilot process for hopefully developing a much larger uh, PD process. So that's, that's why we were interested in it. It's a small chunk of a much larger pot of money. And so that can be used for the pilot just to get a sense for how it works before committing a larger amount of money. So that's also something that we encourage uh, different cities is that if you can't get support to as much money as, as you might like for this, start small, show that it works, and then you'll have the, the evidence to, to demonstrate that it's worth expanding. Great. Thank you, guys. Um, so it sounds like uh, the ideal is, is a million plus, but uh, surely this process can, can work really well as a, a test case with, with much smaller amounts. Um, so that sounds very promising for people that are just trying to get a proof of concept in their town. Um, 
Uh, I've got another question here from Diane P. from Vermont. Diane, are you on the line? Maybe not. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try and. Uh, Hello. Oh, we have you, Diane. Hi. Yeah. Hi. Hi. So uh, I was just moving on to your question here around um, the balance of of private interests. Do you want to talk a little about that? Well, um, this is a very small town. We have 5,000 people, and the RC Council pretty much turned over the running of the town to um, private corporation. It's mostly business people, and we have a huge development that's going to be coming in that's totally private. So almost everything that happens in our future is not going to be at all in the public sphere. It's all going to be private. So I don't know. You know, we could get together and make all kinds of recommendations for what we'd like to see in our city, but um, they don't have to listen to us. So I'm wondering what, what I, I guess you guys are doing mostly with public, like the city council and so forth, but um, if your city council doesn't have any clout and pretty much is abdicated, I don't know really where to start. <laughs> well, Diane, can I ask you a question? I'm just wondering, uh, these are elected officials, aren't they, on your council? Yeah, they are. So they are. They are members of the public. Yeah. But nobody so, goes to council meetings, and um, they pretty much they have delegated it to this, the running of the city to, the, to a private corporation. I'm not even sure why that's legal, but I suppose it is. So, um, no, it doesn't sound like it to me, but <laughs> um, I don't know how necessarily how things work in Vermont, but I'm just wondering. And some um, of the people that are on the board of, the, of this of the corporation are not even residents of the city. So. <laughs> oh, well, that is strange. So I guess I was just going to ask you, you don't think that there's anybody on this board or council that would be a champion of just kind of a transparent process then, sounds like? Well, it may be to, you know, to give lip service to it, but um, they're all pretty much vested in, in business interests, and um, I don't know. And there's going to be a huge developer. They're going to tear down half of our downtown, and private developers are going to come in and put something new. And I live downtown, so um, I am a community activist, and we've been trying to organize people in the neighborhood to get them just interested in anything, but it's really hard to do um, mm. because the business has a real tight grip. What town is yeah. it in Vermont? Uh, it's in Newport. We have um, about... Eight hundred um, million EV five dollars coming in here. They're just going to swamp the place. So, but, but we have we do have a city council. Um, if you go to a city council meeting, you'll find that the city council works on things like what size of lettering on signs and whether a parking ticket should be five dollars or ten dollars. Meanwhile, this the Renaissance Corporation, um, and who they've, they've given over the actual running of the town to. Um, makes decisions about development and all that kind of stuff. So I look at, I don't know, I, I go to see several of us go to city council meetings and, um, but there's nothing decided there of really any importance. Um, some of us go to the Renaissance Corporation meetings, but, um, we don't have any crowd there either. If I could just chime in a minute, I think that we can make a, a broader point around this. I mean, so one issue is that TV, like any kind of participatory process, isn't... Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't hear that too well. What was that? Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to try and use this to make a, a broader point, which is 
that you know, TB, like any kind of participatory process, isn't necessarily a good match for any situation or for every single situation. So it sounds like actually here you don't have the, the right conditions. If you don't have political will, then you really can't do this. But what I would say for places like this, or if you feel like you, you don't have an opening, is to try to look more broadly and think about what other kinds of public bodies or institutions um, might be receptive to this. So that may be at the county level, maybe at the state level, maybe a university or a public authority or a school system. You know, if you feel like the decision makers of a certain public body are not going to like this, then you're probably not going to get anywhere by running your head against the ball. But try to look for other options. It may be that there isn't any place near you where there'd be political goal for this. Um, and hopefully that will change soon. But and based on your description, I, I don't think that this would be a very useful tool for your town, but maybe it would be for some other kind of institution that's in your area, and that's where you could start and show that it works, and maybe from there you could build a more interest. We, um, we, have, we don't have a town meeting or anything. We just have an Australian ballot. So we were thinking of trying to organize um, a town meeting the night before the, um, the, the ballot to see if we could get people talking about stuff just as a starter. That sounds like a good idea, Diane. Yeah. Um, I, w I would like to touch on this point, Josh, um, around other organizations. And we have a, a great comment a little further down the document around engaging nonprofits and other types of organizations in a similar kind of process. Um, and maybe there's opportunity there to start touching on uh, some of the, the other organizations that could get involved in this sort of work uh, that might be a help to, to people in the same situation as Diane. Josh, do you want to talk a little about your experience in working outside of government? Sure, sure. So, there's uh, a few experiences that, that I can mention. One is the, the process in Guelph, which I talked about already, in which CD is actually based in a civil society or, or nonprofit organization uh, called the Guelph Neighborhood Support Coalition. And it's a coalition of, of grassroots neighborhood groups, which basically decides to, to pull their resources together and decide collectively on how to allocate them for community projects. That's an example of a coalition of groups which is using TV, which I think is one effective model, where you have either different chapters or different organizations that have their own local needs, and where you bring them together to um, present their needs, learn about uh, different uh, groups in the coalition, and decide collectively how to allocate resources. Another approach that, that my organization actually used, we actually just had our, our own internal TV process last year, in which we asked everyone who donated to us to vote to decide how the donations were used. And we uh, developed several projects that um, based on what we can turn in the community that uh, would move forward TV in North America and put those to the broader community. Folks were interested around this and, and said, you know, we want you to actually decide uh, which projects we move forward with moving forward in the, in the new year. So that's something that's be done for any type of organization where you engage your your community or your base of supporters in deciding what kind of projects you will do in this year or next year. And uh, I think that's something that we're going to do. NCDD, the National Coalition of Dialogue and Liberation, did a similar process recently with its Catalyst Awards, where its members voted uh, how to allocate uh, $1,000 awards to projects that were developed by their members. Right. Um, what, one thing I'd, I'd love to 
both Marty and Josh to go into a little more detail on um, is how you actually engage the the community, individual delegates to participate in this kind of process. So there particular tactics that you've seen used in the past that are, are particularly effective? Um, are there tools that can be used? Are there particular online platforms to use social media? Um, what can you tell us about the tactics for engaging a wide group of people from everyone from the 16-year-olds through to uh, people that are older? Well, I, I, you know, if it's okay, Josh, I'll just talk about Malayo, and then I think Josh is much better equipped to talk about where it's been used other places. But what was done mainly in Malayo uh, a lot was around those neighborhood general assemblies where we're sort of the, the first stage where you're really kind of brainstorming and you, you've got your rule book and so you've got your rules of engagement. And then we went out and we had nine of these neighborhood assemblies in Malayo and um, one was focused on youth. One was all Spanish-speaking because we have a, a, about a 20%, 25% of our population is Spanish-speaking in Royal. And then, um, and then we had uh, a senior one that was focused on seniors, and then the other six were um, geographically spread throughout the city and open. Well, they're all open to the public, and they were um, advertised in the newspaper and on the TVBoleo.org website and on the city's website. And so, at, at those assemblies, at the end. Um, whoever attended was asked if they would like to be a budget delegate, you know, in the next phase when we, um, you know, vet the projects and really start designing them as well as um, figuring out what the budgets would be. So that was one of the main ways in which the delegates were sort of recruited, both youth and seniors, and, you know, at, at every one of those meetings at the end, um, people were invited to sign up, and they we had a forum there, and they, you know, um, actually filled out the form and their contact information and all that kind of stuff. And then when the assemblies were all done and there was a cutoff date for any more new project ideas, um, shortly after that, all those people who signed up were contacted and invited to participate in one of two orientations for the budget delegates back in December. And um, I think the other way in which the delegates were sort of recruited was also through the tvbelayer.org website, through the Facebook page that we have um, as well, and I think a lot word of mouth, too, people talking word of mouth, because I noticed I've been trying to go to as many of the delegate meetings as I can. The delegate um, portion is these projects were, were put in basically six buckets, which are six different, if you will, six different committees. And so um, people who are interested in things like public safety are on the public safety committee, and they're vetting those projects related to public safety. And then you can, you know, that we have streets and transportation, economic development. So I've been trying to attend as many of those as I, I can attend, and I've noticed that there are, in, in most of those committees, at least a few people that didn't come to any of their neighborhood assemblies. And so they either learned about it online or Facebook or in the newspaper or word of mouth. So that there are some people that, that didn't participate in those other public meetings and have shown up to make this um, larger commitment to the process, which is also really exciting to see that there's some people that really want to do that. But that's been the main route in, in Vallejo for um, recruiting delegates. And, Marty, what kind of feedback have you got from people when you talk to them about participating in this kind of process? How do they how do they talk about the, their own kind of personal reward that they get out of being part of something like this? Well, it's been, I think it's been really interesting to see people who, even people on the steering committee who started out um, almost, I feel like, being on the steering committee, maybe to sort of keep an eye on the process and see what to say, what's this TV thing about, 
have really turned the corner, and, and some of them have become real advocates and champions for it. I, I think I would just summarize it by one of one person in particular who um, had a, a, a pretty good quote, and I have to paraphrase a little bit here, but um, said to me at the end of, like, the second budget delegate meeting, um, I was talking to her about her project, and she said, you know, I'm just realizing that this really isn't about the money. It's about empowering all of us to get engaged in the democratic process again and and really be involved in our community and government and budgeting. And I just looked at her and smiled and I said, exactly. <laughs> so um, I think that's the best example I can give of, you know, kind of the, the sea change that I see happening in the city of Vallejo around TV and, and around government. That's fantastic. Jess, how about you? Do you, uh, do you have any particular tactics or um, favorite go-to uh, tricks to, to get people engaged and to reach a, a really diverse audience for these kind of processes? Yeah, I, I mentioned several before, but I'll, I'll add three things to that. Uh, the first is that you have to make participation matter. And this is just a really fundamental point that, that TV does well. And just understanding that people aren't stupid and they realize that if you have a meeting and it's not going to have any effect on any kind of decisions, that, then why should they show up? You know, why should they take time out of their day? to bother participating. And so part of the, the big reason why TV works is that you put money on the table and people have to take it to the size how a million dollars is spent or however much money is spent. That's just, it's a really different ballgame when you do that. Uh, the second thing is to get people meaningful work. And this is what Marty even said before where you divide up these projects into committees and uh, there's several committees of, you know, five to 15 people which are tackling different issue areas, whether that be public safety or transportation or parks and recreation. And what that does is, is it, it divides up the, the daunting task of making a budget into concrete chunks that small teams can handle. And each person can do something meaningful and develop a project and feel that they're playing a, a real role in the process. And the third thing is to make it fun. And, and I'll put in a, a quick plug for my book that's coming out in around the year uh, called Making Democracy Fun at MIT Press. And what we try and do is make this an enjoyable process so that people actually want to come out and participate. So we'll have uh, games at most of our meetings. Um, we like to have music and get people moving around the room and have this really process where it's competitive, but it's a kind of collaborative competition where people work together as teams to, to win projects for their community. And that inspires people because uh, this thing is safe and there will be real outcomes. It's challenging. It's really hard to get these projects through. People, people rise to that challenge. And they, I find, really just get inspired by this, um, the ability to make a real difference and have it be something that they can handle but is also challenging. Great. Thank you. Now, we're coming up to the top of the hour again, so we're, we're getting ready to, to finish up here. Uh, I always like to finish up these calls by asking our speakers for some really clear next steps or some action items that, that everyone can take to go and get started. So, uh, Josh, do you have a, a couple of tips for people if they wake up tomorrow with a burning desire to, to get this kind of project going in their community? What's the first couple of things they should do? I do, and actually I wrote them at the very end of the talk. So if you look at the bottom of the Google Docs, okay. I wrote in four next steps. Uh, so one is, is just quickly, you can sign up to get email updates, uh, join our Facebook page, Twitter updates, include the links for that. Uh, the second big thing is they're actually having a, an international conference in Chicago on May 3rd to 5th. And that's really a great way to see how this works firsthand, to meet people who are doing TV and connect with the broader community. So I'd encourage folks to, 
plan for that. And if anyone wants to submit a proposal, you're also welcome to do that uh, for a presentation or a workshop or any kind of session. Uh, and the last two points are if you want to really start organizing the Windows in your community. So get in touch with us if you'd like to schedule an event or do a briefing for your uh, city council or for the head of the department. And we can talk about how to move that forward. And then if you want to take your initiative and contact elected officials or people at the university, schools, or institutions, uh, start spreading the word and uh, include some links for videos, articles, and materials that you can use to get folks excited about the process. Terrific. And Maddie, same question to you. If people wake up tomorrow morning and want to get active and, and start uh, implementing a participatory budgeting project in their community, what are the first couple of things you think they should be doing? Um, I think, you know, Josh um, covered them. I would just build a little bit more on a couple of the things I was thinking of. One is, um, you know, get together people, get together with people in your community that are interested and passionate about this issue learn more about it um, and, and, you know, study the PD project website and kind of make sure that you um, understand how PD works. And then, you know, I, I would advise that you go around and do a little dog and pony show to each of your elected officials, sit down with them and make that the first step in kind of bringing them along in the process if they're not familiar with it, they probably aren't, and talk to them about what PD is and that this is something you'd really like to see you know, your town or city or county embrace and be a part of um, kind of taking, you know, democracy, um, you know, democracy on steroids, if you will. And so um, I, I would advocate for that and then consider doing um, like a public event um, and have somebody, you know, like Josh or from Josh's organization come and do a presentation to the public and invite, again, invite those elected officials to come and learn more. Um, those are a couple key things that I would, you know, suggest anybody that wakes up with that urge tomorrow morning to, to take those next steps. Great. Thank you both very much. Now, I have a final question. Um, I would love to know uh, if this process, if statistically budgeting is wildly successful uh, in communities all over the country, where do you think it's going to go next? What, what do you think happens next in the, in the future of this process? Josh, do you have any wild, wild dreams about where this is going to go? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, one of the great things about this is that it's easier to replicate and scale up and sort of turn around the world. So it often starts small and really grows from there. So the first experiences in Puerto Rico and Brazil were very small, involving you know, hundreds or a few thousand people and not much money. And it's grown from that into allocating up to $200 million a year. And then it grew from that into a process at the statewide level. And... Uh, to hundreds of cities across the country. So I think we're really just starting to scratch the surface um, just barely even of what this can do. And I think that you know, every city, county, uh, level government, institution could be doing TV. It won't take time to get there. But we find that once people understand what this process is and that you can actually decide what your government does directly, uh, that they get really excited about this and, and really take to it. So I'm optimistic that as we start to spread the word and that people get to see this in action in communities near them, that it can really take off and, and people can really decide how money spends all over the place. Fantastic. How about you, Money? What do you got for us? What's your I, I think, you know, that, <laughs> well, my big world dream is to continue to increase the amount of money that we actually allocate to the TV process whether it be, you know, at whatever level or in any organization, I think that it, it's, uh, 
you know, I think Josh already alluded to this or said it straight out, because that, you know, the, the bigger the pot of money, the more engaged and interested people certainly are in the process. So I'd like to see that to continue to grow. And I'd really like to see um, how we can grow TV to other levels of government, because at a time when people are so disillusioned, and don't trust government, especially, you know, the recent, there was a recent study that was talking about, you know, the further you get away from the local level and you go to the county and then the state and then the federal government, the more and more mistrust there is of government. And so I think that there's a lot that the state and federal government in particular can really learn from participatory budgeting and learn about, you know, how do you re-engage your citizenry and, you know, turn back over some of the power about, you know, budgetary decisions and how we shape our communities together really giving that back over to the people as, as much as is feasible. And I think that's something I would like to see a lot more happen at, at even higher levels of government. Well, we can only hope that, uh, that one day we will reach these lofty goals. Uh, right now, though, we have hit top of the hour, uh, which concludes our call for today. So on behalf of everyone at Orton Family Foundation Community Matters, I would like to thank both our speakers today, Josh and Marty, for joining us and sharing some of their incredible experiences. Uh, and to everyone on the call today, thank you so much for taking the time, for submitting your questions, uh, and for helping to provide a bunch of these answers here. If, uh, if we didn't get to your question today, they're still in the Google Doc, which will be available for anyone to add additional answers to. So if you have additional resources, questions, answers, comments, or anything that's already on the list or anything you want to add, please feel free. Uh, we'll leave that open for a couple of days before we PDF it and make it available through the Community Matters website. This call will also be made available as a podcast download, so if uh, you know people that missed it and couldn't be here today, they will still be able to catch up on the, uh, the conversation at a later date. So on behalf of everyone today, thank you so much. Um, and uh, hopefully you'll join us for another call in the next month or so. Thanks, everyone, uh, and have a great afternoon.